Uh, will you open your uh, Bible with me this morning, if you will, to Exodus chapter 25. We've been journeying through the tabernacle, and we've been looking at every piece of the furniture of the tabernacle. We introduced the series by uh, looking at the tabernacle itself and the, the amount of um, weight that God gives it in His, in His Word. We've talked about time and again about that there are explicit details all throughout the Bible. Some 50 chapters that describe the tabernacle and its, its ministries. And every one of them are pictured uh, for us to uh, lead us to Jesus Christ. That He is the temple. The Bible says the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. And that word dwelt in the New Testament, John chapter 1, is the word tabernacle. So you might as well say, he, you could say, the Word became flesh and He tabernacled among us. And so the tabernacle of God is open through Jesus Christ and His substitutionary atoning death on the cross to repentant sinners like you and I. And so we're so grateful to be able to look at all these elements and look at them and take the New Testament and the Old Testament and compare them to one another and illuminate our hearts through the Word about what all the tabernacle means and every piece of furniture and every detail. And the symbolism is just overwhelming. We're only scraping the surface. There's a whole bunch of things that we see, that we don't have time enough to go through, and there are a whole bunch of things I'm sure in there that we haven't yet seen. But it's amazing. It's a miracle. It's a miracle word because we serve a miracle God. So if you're physically able, will you stand with me right now in reverence and respect of the reading of God's word? And we're going to come now to the piece of furniture called the gold lampstand. Again, we're at Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 and following to the end of the chapter. Instructions gave from, given from God in regard to the golden lampstand. God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and said, You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its side. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made almond the three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like an almond like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick Trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. That's the word of the living God. Last week, you remember, the series that we've entitled in such, such a perfect marriage between the series this morning and the music. Um, the series that we've have titled this is not without blood that there is no entrance into the holy of holies without the blood and there's no entrance to heaven for we who are redeemed without blood 
took the, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that blood, amen, hallelujah, never loses its power. And we talked about how that when you walk into the, to the uh, holy place of the tabernacle, and you look up there on the screen, you can see it. The square on the left side is the bronze altar. The bronze altar is a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. And then, once we go beyond the bronze altar in the circle, do you remember that's the bronze labor? That's a bronze-covered uh, uh, labor where there was water put there, and that's a picture of the need for sanctification. And the water in the Bible, we talked about two times in the Bible that the water is used. When it's used to, uh, to, uh, for drinking, it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. When it's used for cleansing, it's speaking of what? Do you remember? The Word of God. Okay, so that's a need of the constant need of cleansing through the Word of God and repentance of sin, confession and repentance. So the believer, once you go behind the once you go beyond the bronze altar, you're a believer. And you're in. That's the relationship is purchased where the square is. But the fellowship with the Lord is ensured where the circle is. And we're headed toward in the life of Christ and the life we have in Christ, we're headed toward the holy place and ultimately the most holy place where the rectangle is. So when you walk in to the holy place, you'll see where the red arrow is there is where the golden lampstand was placed. Now, the, below that, as you look at the dots in a row showing where the lampstand is, if you look below that, beneath that, you see that there's a, a rectangle. Does anybody remember what that rectangle is? It's the bread. It's the table of the presence of God. It's where the showbread, that's right, was placed. And Jesus said what? I am the bread of life. The word, the city he was born in. Bethlehem. The meaning of that word Bethlehem is house of bread. And when we break the bread in communion, Jesus said, this is a picture of my what? Body that was broken before you, for you. And there was always bread at the table. Hallelujah. There's always bread at the king's table. And man, paupers like me and you are invited there. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll have a fit in a minute here. Okay, so then that's what we went through last week was a table of the showbread or the presence of God. But then we look at the lamp over on the other side. Now, God willing, next week, the small square is the altar, the incense altar. And we're going to look at that one. And then beyond that, when you move into the veil, is the most holy place. We're in the holy place. Then we're moving toward the most holy place. Now, a couple of things that we want to talk about here. And looking at the golden lampstand again. These are not just pictures of furniture. This is not just a study about furnishing. This is a study about Jesus Christ. Every one, every little detail, every little minute detail of the tabernacle points to Jesus Christ. And so, as we move in, into the inner part of the holy place, that's a believer in fellowship with Jesus. That's a believer that's full of the Holy Spirit. That's a believer that's walking in the Spirit. That's a believer who goes for cleansing every day and walks with Jesus Christ. That's what that's the picture of. And when we walk into the most holy, the holy place, the light that lights up the holy place is this lampstand. Now, the location of that, we're going to pick up from last week, but we ended last week. Listen carefully, if you will. The location of that lampstand is so incredibly important. It speaks volumes to us. Do you remember... When we look at the location, you remember now, this way points east. The gate always toward the east. So on the south side is the showbread, the table of the presence of God. On the north side is the golden lampstand. It is strategically placed right across from the showbread. Do you remember why? Does anybody remember why? 
lit up right across the aisle from the showbread. Does anybody remember why? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And the Holy Spirit lights up that room and we're able to commune with Jesus Christ who's represented by the bread through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Now that's so incredibly important. Listen to this. The lampstand is exactly opposite the bread because of John 15.26. Now would you turn there? Look at John 15.26. Now we're picking up from last week. John 15.26. Jesus, in talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whom He would send, He said, Now I got when I leave, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone to yourself. I'm going to send a comforter. He'll be in you, with you, and upon you. He will guide you into all the truth. He will empower you for holy living and for service. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's exactly like me. Exactly like me. Once a believer repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What happens at that moment, not at some later time, but at that moment, according to Scripture, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and indwells a believer. Now, there's only one, we've talked about this before, there's only one indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That happens one time. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. So there's no zone in the Bible whereby you're saved and then later on you receive the Holy Spirit. You, are, you receive the Holy Spirit the moment you're saved. As a matter of fact, it's not possible to be saved absent the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts you. The Holy Spirit calls you. The Holy Spirit woos you. The Holy Spirit gives you the faith to believe. The Holy Spirit can be attributed and credited with everything that you believe about Jesus Christ that's true. So therefore, when we get up here in music worship on Sunday morning, our worship ought to be as pure as it could possibly be because we've got no one else to credit for our salvation except Him. Amen? It's not me and Jesus. It's just Jesus. And the Holy Spirit lets us know and convicts us of our sin, convicts us of our need of a Savior, convicts us that God did provide one and His name is Jesus Christ, that He was crushed on the cross of Calvary, as a sacrifice for our sins, and all those who admit they're a sinner and put their faith in Jesus Christ and don't work to go to heaven, but just trust Him, can be assured that they're going there. All because of Him. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when you walk in, to be able to see the activity of God and to see what Jesus is doing and how He's working in a situation, it, is, it must take the Holy Spirit. It must take the Holy Spirit. We've used this analogy before. But listen to this. It's a good analogy. Let's just say that we move into Iraq in the first Gulf War. And President Bush orders us to go in there because they've invaded Kuwait. We're driving them out of Kuwait. We're going to take them and move them out of that region. And we decide, you know what? We've done all this reconnaissance work. We've flown over. You know, we've got planes that will fly so high outside the enemy's ability to shoot them down and take pictures of a, a newspaper that a guy's reading on the corner of Baghdad on a morning paper to be able to read the headline. That's how good they are. 100,000 or so feet above the air. And we go through and we can do all this expensive reconnaissance uh, maneuvers and we go over and we find out where the enemy's at, where he's moving, where he keeps his ammunition, where the troops are, how many divisions they have, where, where are they strategically located, where are their missiles. We, we find out all this information. We do all this reconnaissance work and then we come back and give it to the military brass and say, here it is. We've got it all. 
This is where they're moving. This is what their plan is. This is where the weaknesses are. Here's where their strengths are. And the general says, one of the generals speaks up and says, well, let me just tell you this. I'm kind of an emotional guy. I'm a touchy-feely type guy. And to be honest with you, I'd just rather not have all of that. Let's just feel our way through. Let's just go through and let's sit a plane over here and try out and see if that works. And let's just throw one over here and let's shoot a bomb over here and see how that turns out. And we'll just see what we can do to kind of feel our way through and see if we can win this battle. That would make him a fool. But yet we do that in the Christian life. We want to feel our way through. Let's just feel our way. Let's emotionally negotiate the landscape. What feels right must be right. And we operate based on human reasoning. Can I say this to you? Human reasoning and the mind and heart of God are two totally different things. The wisdom of man, the Bible says, is what? Foolishness with God. God has done the reconnaissance work, and here it is right here. And to put that aside and say that I'm going to feel my way in through is a foolish and destructive decision. So what does it say that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is? Now this lamp representing the Holy Spirit, look what it says. But when He, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, comes... Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will do what? He will testify of me. Who's me? Who's the me there? Jesus. Alright, now the Bible tells us in Matthew 12. Think about this. Turn to Matthew 12. We'll turn to Matthew chapter 12. If you will, please. Matthew chapter 12. Let's look at verses 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Jesus, um, confronting the Pharisees, all the religious people who gave him the biggest fit of anybody, for whom he reserved his harshest words. Look what he says here. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the, bla the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven in him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now why is that? Now who's speaking here? Jesus Himself speaking here. And He says, if you speak a word against the Son of Man, now who's He talking about? He's talking about Himself. He said, if you blaspheme, you blaspheme my name. If you speak irreverently of my name, you still have an opportunity to be forgiven for that. didn't say that wasn't sin to do it. It says it's, that forgiveness is still offered to you if you do that. However, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, there's no other recourse. I cannot redeem you any other way. Now, why is that? Because you're rejecting Christ. And the reason it is, is because the marriage of John 15, 26, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, with this text. In other words, it is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that the Son is known. If you reject the ministry and message of the Holy Spirit, then God cannot save you on any other basis. Because it is through the Holy Spirit that I know He's the Messiah. It is through the Holy Spirit that I know the Bible's true. It is through the Holy Spirit that I know I'm a convicted sinner and absent Christ. I've got nothing but condemnation looming for me. It is through the Holy Spirit that I know He was sent from God from heaven. He's the Son of the living God. He's God the Son. 
and that He was born of a virgin, Mary, and the prophesied one to come and live a sinless life for 33 years on this earth and publicly offer up Himself as a substitute and sacrifice on Calvary's hill, brutally crushed there by God the Father as a sacrifice for every single one of my sins, was raised from the dead three days later, shortly thereafter returned to heaven where He sits at the Father's right hand and we await His soon return. I know every bit of that and believe every bit of that with every fiber of my being and if you believe that with every fiber of your being, you can thank the Holy Spirit for it. He said if you reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit regarding the Son, there's no other basis for salvation because it is through the testimony of the Holy Spirit that the Son is known. Now, in the tabernacle, why wouldn't it be then that the lampstand would be positioned directly across from the showbread, which is the table that points to the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for me and you on Calvary's Hill. Isn't that wonderful? Every little detail is thought out by God. You would expect that, wouldn't you, Brooke? Every little detail is planned by God. You would expect that, wouldn't you, Ray? Because everything is just right and it's according to the order. So, it's positioned there and we look at it now and we see where it's positioned. Now, let's look at the 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 the, the how it's made up. What is it composed of? Well, in the narrative we just read, it's made out of pure gold. It's made out of one talent of gold, which is 125 pounds of gold. I don't know what gold is trading at right now. I haven't looked at my portfolio lately. If it's traded at $1,000 an ounce, that means my portfolio is worth zero. If it's trading at $5,000 an ounce, it's still worth zero because I don't have any. But, it's 125 pounds of pure gold. Do you recall? Do you recall when we were in the courtyard? And Spencer, let's put the big picture of the tabernacle up if you will, please. When we were in the courtyard, the the whole thing, the whole thing. Uh, that's my fault. The, the whole thing. When we were in the courtyard and we were making our way, the two pieces that we came were the bronze altar and the bronze labor. Well, obviously, that just gave it away. What were they made of? Bronze, and it was from wood that was overlaid with bronze. Does anybody remember what bronze is symbolic of? Judgment. Judgment. So it shows that Jesus Christ became a man. He's God. He became a man. He took on human flesh. That's a picture of the wood, his humanity. The bronze is a picture of the fact that God exercised all of his judgment that should have been exercised on you and I on his beloved son. Hallelujah. And so then we so out in the courtyard we have the bronze. But son, when we move into the holy place, in the most holy place, there's nothing but gold in there. Now why is that? Because he's God. He's pure. He's the son of the living God. We're entering into royalty. We're entering into the throne room right there. The picture of the presence of God. And the throne room is wherever he is. Amen. And so it's made out of pure gold. And they said it's got to be made out of beaten gold. Did you notice that? It's not like you take pieces of gold and put an, and get an ark and weld it together. It's, it was made out of one piece. They took the one piece and artists who were empowered by the Holy Spirit and raised up by God took that one piece and fashioned in great detail a beautiful lampstand out of one piece. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? This is an amazing piece of Scripture to be honest with you. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. You know, no matter what you're going through right now, I want you to know 
it, it, does, it doesn't matter what space you're walking in. I mean, it does not matter what space you're walking in, whether there's confusion in your life or doubt or fear, whether or not there's uncertainty, whether or not you've been rejected by people who are close to you. Maybe you've been betrayed by people that you put a lot of confidence in. Or maybe, maybe, maybe the finances are wearing thin. There's uncertainty about our future because of job loss and all the other things. It doesn't matter where you go right now. You can go no place where Jesus Christ has not already been. And the encouraging part about that is, is that when you talk to Him about whatever's weighing on your heart, He lends a sympathetic ear to whatever you say. He never goes, well, wait a minute now. When I was on earth, I didn't come across that. And so, Lord, I'm hurt and I'm lonely. I'm fearful. I didn't, I, I never had, let me look up and see what we do about that. And let me get the book and uh, identify how we handle that because I didn't experience that when I was down here. No, no, no. He experienced all of it. And look what the Bible says about the Son of the living God. It says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. Do you ever think about Jesus having to learn anything? He's God. He's the incarnate God of the universe sent down from heaven itself. But yet, in His humanity, He learned obedience to the Father because He was challenged just exactly the way we are so that He could sympathize with us as our high priest who's at the Father's right hand. Isn't that wonderful? You'll never go to a place. You'll never go and sink so low that Jesus Christ is not being lower than where you've been. Never. Oh, be encouraged. Lay your burdens down on Him. If Cindy were having to carry this burden about her brother and his salvation on her own, it would drive her crazy. We have to give it to Him in prayer. I understand. I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to have people reject me. They rejected me. The people I came to die for. I know what it's like for not to have a lot of money. Jesus Christ didn't have anything when He was on this earth. I know what it's like to have everybody betray you and say, oh yes, I'll stand with you. Then look around on the cross and go, Man, where'd they go? I know what it's like to be misunderstood. I know what it's like to be falsely accused. I know what it's like to be in want. I know what it's like to be fearful. I know what it's like to be tired. I know what it's like to be spent. I know every bit of this. And I overcame so that you could overcome. I overcame so I could sympathize. When you pray to me and you tell me about those things... You don't find a God who goes, well, I'm perfect, and I went down there and did it all right, and I don't know what you're talking about, but feel me in any way. You find a compassionate Lord that turns his ear like this. This is old child. Tell me what's on your heart. Give it to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Give it to me. Don't try to carry it. Give it to me. Give it to me by faith. Latch on to my promises, because when you latch on to a promise, you latch on to me. You'll find out that I am enough. Amen? That's the kind of God we serve. So that one piece of beaten gold represents the suffering that Jesus Christ went through on this earth. That He was beat and formed and fashioned into a perfect high priest who's at the Father's right hand who sympathizes with everything that we go through. Look what the Bible says in Job chapter 23, verse 10. We preached the whole message one Sunday morning on this one verse. Job chapter 23 in verse 10, you'll remember this. This beaten gold out of one piece. Look what he says about it. Job 23, verse 10. Watch this. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth 
as gold. Hallelujah. God knows. God knows that He's sovereign over your circumstance. He knows the way of your circumstance. He's in charge of it. It might not seem that way. It might, it might seem out of control, but I want you to know something. There's a God who's got a steady hand at the wheel. God is sovereign over wherever you are. And when you come forth, you trust Him, and you put your trust in Him, you'll come forth as gold. That thing was made out of beaten gold, out of one piece, because Jesus Christ was conformed and beaten into the into the into the very high priest that we desperately need, who's at the Father's right hand, who prays for us 24-7. Amen. So it was made out of beaten gold. Let's look at the structure itself as well in the fact that we don't get all the way through it. We'll wrap this up after this. It's made out of pure gold. It's the source of light inside the holy place. Especially, let's go to the one that shows the holy place. That's perfect. Thank you. When you go inside there, we're going to study this before this is over with. But you see those four layers that are up that they that they cut into to see in the, into the most holy place. Those are four layers they were told to put. Those are layers of four heavy coverings over the holy place, and each one of them, of course, as you would expect, symbolize something. And we'll get into that. But those four layers, which means that on the inside of it. If you didn't have a lamp in there, it would be very dark. There is no place for light to be lit in right there. And so the, 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 the holy place is lit up by the, by the lampstand, by the, the, the candles on the I mean, the oil that uh, fuels the, the, the uh, flame on the wick to light up that, can, that light stand. It's one, won't you listen to this carefully? It's one of three sources of light in the tabernacle. It's one of three sources of light in the tabernacle. Okay? If you look at the tabernacle at large, the whole thing, with the fence around it, the Spencer just had it there for us. When you're in the courtyard, when you're in the courtyard, you're operating under the same light as the natural man. Does that sound familiar? When you're in the courtyard, you're operating under the same light as the natural man. You are bound to think based on human reasoning. And you cannot tap into the heart of God and you certainly can't walk by faith because you're receiving from the same light that everybody else gets their light from. So you hear things, ideas advance, especially right now in the political realm, in our, in our country. Here's what we ought to do about it. And everybody's got an answer about how to turn things around. We're on the wrong track, and I do believe we're on the wrong track, no doubt about that. But everybody's got a solution and an answer for a way to turn things around. And they're all the thought here's what all those thoughts have in common. They're puny. They're puny. They're just little bitty puny men thoughts. When in reality, the thing we need to do is repent and turn toward Jesus Christ. See? So the light, when you're a, when you're a believer and you have a relationship, but you're not in fellowship with God. You operate out of the same light that a natural man does. And you have no discernment or no direction any more than he does. You've heard me tell this story time and again before probably, but I'm getting old and getting to where I do this a lot. I went inside, of, one time we were, I was playing with a contemporary Christian band and we were in New Mexico and we took a stop on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, on our travels out to California and we, stayed, we, we, we went into a cave. You know, they have a tourist trap cave thing. 
And so we had some time to kill, and so we went inside the middle of this cave. And I thought I knew what darkness was until I went in that cave. We got in the middle of it, and the whole thing was lit. You know, the path was lit. And they said, let me show you, get you experience what real darkness is like, Al. And they turned off the lights. And I've never experienced darkness before in my life until then. And here's what I reflect back on that and learn that day. At least one thing I learned. It's when you're walking in darkness, one direction looks just as good as the other. And see, the natural man tries whatever he wants to try and tries whatever seems to be reasonable. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but that way leads to destruction. Oh, it just seems right. That just seems reasonable. But yet human thought and God's thoughts, like we talked about a while ago, are the polar opposite of one another. They don't have anything to do with each other. They don't live in the same zone. Jesus said, God said this in Isaiah, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my thoughts and my ways above yours. And so when you're a believer who's not walking in fellowship with the Lord, and you're meandering around in the courtyard, you're operating by the same light as the pagan who can't even get in in the first place. That might be the greatest problem we face in the church in America. That might be it right there. No fear of God. And so certainly no discernment about His activity and how He's working. What is He doing in a given situation? What is your will right now, Lord? No, you're not a candidate for that when you're meandering around the courtyard with unconfessed sin that you refuse to go to the labor for. And so the light gets turned on in the, in the, uh, most ho the holy place, and that's the second source of light. And that's the golden lampstand, and that's the Holy Spirit. This is the believer in fellowship with God. This is the believer who's going after Him with tenacity. This is the believer who says, I'm not going to settle for what I think. This is the believer who says, you know what, give me the reconnaissance data. Give me everything that you found out by flying over Baghdad. I want every little jot and tittle. I want to find out exactly everything that you learned on that trip. I want to know. The Bible says two times in, in Romans 15 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the Old Testament was written for an example that we might learn from it. from Learn from their mistakes and learn what they did right and also learn from what they did wrong. I want to know. I want to be informed. Do you know, believer, in this world, what you don't know might not hurt you. But in the kingdom, what you don't know will most assuredly hurt you. And those around you. The golden lampstand, the Holy Spirit, illuminating the Word. Can I say this to you? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7 and we'll close. You'll recall this. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talking about the kingdom. The way into the kingdom. And not everybody who thinks they're going there is indeed going. First source of light, source of light in the courtyard is natural light that the natural man gets to. The next source of light in the tabernacle is the golden lampstand, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Illuminating our walk and letting us see Jesus in every situation. Letting us actually be able to rightly divide and interpret the truth of the Bible. To be able to understand the nuggets that come from heaven when we study. To turn on the light, if you will, on a text or a passage and say, oh, My goodness, I've never seen that before. Have you ever done that? You ever read a verse of Scripture that you've read a billion times and come across it one day and go, ah! That happens to me all the time. Or I'll be in there and say, Lord, I don't yet know what that means. They say, you know what, keep reading, keep studying, keep going after it. And when you're ready for it, I'll give it to you. 
And then when he gives it to you one day, you just want to run around the building and shout and tell everybody. Okay? Know what it says. John chapter uh, 7, verse 21. Matthew. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, watch this, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, now just listen to this. Stay with me for just a second. Picking up on the fact that it's through the testimony of the Holy Spirit that the Son is known. It's the testimony of the lampshade in there that we get to see the activity of God and see where He's working and get plugged into what He's doing. And we'll go into that in the next message. The Bible says, Jesus says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now what did Jesus say on the cross? Do you remember? He was hanging on the cross, about to die, spitting out His blood for you and I, and what does He say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? God the Father, God the Holy Spirit for the first time ever turned their back on God the Son. Now why do they do that? Because on top of His precious brow was placed every one of my sins. God had to turn His back on me. He became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God placed every one of his, our sins on His Son and in so doing that turned His back the whole world went dark for the last three hours that He was on the cross. You know that. We've been that through that time and again. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, turned their back on God the Son for the first time ever. Why? I wrote in my Bible, my God, this is from Psalm 22, which is quoted. Psalm 22 says that 800 years before it happened. And I wrote in my Bible when it says, my God, my God, why is thou forsaken me? I put it because of Lindsay Lewis's sin. That's why. You could put your name in there too. That's why. And so, Jesus said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he's saying. I acknowledged you, God the Father, I acknowledge you, God the Son, but I did not receive the testimony of God the Holy Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit who's rejected there. You see it? There are plenty of people. You know them. You know people. You know people in this place right now, and some of them might be related to you, who believe in God and believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in what the Bible says about it. Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit. What it's saying is, is I hey, I, apostles and all them guys? Yeah, I believe it. Peter, James, John, okay. I concede. They live. God? Yeah, there's a God. Probably is. Look out there. Look at your eyeball. Is there a God? Can man do that? Huh? Look at a tree. Can man do that? Come on. Come on. All right, I concede. There's a God. Jesus lived? Yeah. The religious guy got himself in lots of trouble. Why? Well, he was trying to overthrow the Roman government and be the Jewish king. He got caught in a scheme, got in trouble. Things got out of hand, they killed him. Really? The problem with that is, 
Here's where the problem lies, is this resurrection business. That's where that lies. Because three days later, he was raised from the dead. He was seen by, by 500 people. And most of those 500 people went to their death confessing, he's Lord. Can I tell you this? When the people that ran those planes into the World Trade Center on 9-11, and people that were resulted in that plane going down in that field in, Pittsburgh, in Pennsylvania, and the people that ran that plane into into uh, the, the Pentagon on 9-11, every last one of them, every last one of them died for what they believed in. They believed a lie. But they believed it to be true. Let me tell you this. Nobody dies for what they know to be a lie. Do you follow that? No one, no one would die for what they know to be a lie. But everybody, these guys died for what they knew to be true. They saw Him alive. Jesus is alive. Now, I believe that and you believe that because of the witness of the Holy Spirit. There are plenty of people and they're going to go to heaven and they're going to be eternally shocked. And we, we don't say this with joy. We say this with lament. We say this with anguish. We say this with passion. We say this with compassion. We say this with love. But they're going to stand in front of Jesus and they're going to say, Jesus, I believed in you. When asked, I believed in you. Sure, I believed you were. I believed in George Washington. How many of you here believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States? you have a problem with that? Did you meet him? Have you met him? How many believe in Napoleon? Do you know him? Did you meet him? No, but you believe in the testimony of Napoleon. He says, no, no, you believed in me like a religious figure. But you never received me as Lord. You never bowed down and repented. Why? Because you rejected the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's testimony regarding His Son is right here. So that's why the lamp stands there. Can I say this to you? The Bible says that the thoughts of men, this is just a partial list. Here's what the Bible says about your thoughts and mine too. This is what the Bible says about mine and your thoughts. I'm seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a press clipping here from heaven. This isn't me. I didn't make this up. The Bible says your thoughts and my thoughts are wicked. The Bible says that uh, we have wicked thoughts. The Bible says that your thoughts and my thoughts are abominable. That means that God hates human thoughts. The Bible says that human thought is sinful. And we certainly know by experience that human thought is limited. And the only way to tap into God's thoughts is to read the ones He took enough time to write them down. Over the course of 1,400 years, using some 40-odd authors, breathed on by the Holy Spirit, this is the thought of God. And to tap into His heart and His mind is through His Word illuminated by the Holy Spirit so we can see who Jesus is, how He's working. And you know what? Here's the thing. Jeff, I can't point you toward Him unless I know where He is. I gotta know where He is. I gotta know who He is. I gotta know what He's like. I gotta know how He's working. I gotta tap into power that I don't have on my own. I gotta do it. And where does that come? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Illuminated by that beaten gold lamp, Jesus Christ, who suffered in every way we were, yet without sin. He's everything, y'all. He's everything. 